Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS number 328358. Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now your host, the mortgage experts from Central Coast Lending. That's because the election has changed mortgage rates dramatically. Broadcasting from the KVEC News Talk 920 and FM 96.5 Studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's time for Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Woo! 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 Here, here. Oh, it's just gonna gonna flash this over at the end real quick. Hang on, right button. Right See that, dude? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's finally succeeding at fantasy football. I mean, it's we're all, all okay. at week two. It's week two. But... It's week two, so it, it might be a little premature to be. Uh, did floating. I win? Did I win two games last year? I don't know. Did I don't you? think so. Yeah, you did. I don't think so. Yeah, you did. Or maybe I did. However, I was never in first place never. by record and points. No. So, well, you're f- not first in points. Yeah. Totally. No. 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 Um. Look again. You, there's other people who have scored more than you. You're just. Oh yeah. The highest scoring. I'm of just the, the best two, record. You're right. Of the two undefeated. People. That's right. Undefeated's a great word. I wasn't. I wasn't even thinking it's of early. that yet. It's early. <laughs> yes. It's early. Undefeated. Yeah. Uh, anyway, wait until that key player blows out a knee or something, and then then all of a sudden you'll be seeking I, a trade. I and... like that uh, the NFL stands for not for long. <laughs> right. Um, lots of big injuries lately, huh? Yeah, that's that's the thing every year. That's the, the that's way. the key to winning fantasy football is having extremely good luck, which I, I know you and I know that you have extremely good luck, <laughs> except for fantasy football, but maybe this year's different. Which has been decidedly unlucky for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, anyhow, I also, you'll be happy to know that I've not made a single move. Oh. I looked at the move screen. Some of you guys are making a lot of moves. Well, yeah. Out of necessity, maybe? Perhaps. Hurt, hurt people? Perhaps. Oh, anyway. Somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got to be ahead. Might as well be whoever. Might as well be Jason. Yeah, there it is, right? Yeah. I like the way <laughs> you think, Jim. Um, All right. Well, been another fantastic week. Yeah? Yeah. Um, We talked about tracking this index, and you're the primary data um aggregator here. The applications index by way of active loan pipeline for ah, Central Coast Lending. Uh, so is it up, down, or sideways? It is up about 10% since Dang. two weeks ago. Dang. Up 10%. Um, with no additional loan officers. Correct. In fact, we sort of Correct. atrophied by one. <laughs> so, but man, that's wild, right? That's Yeah. And so, with rates moving, you know, three eighths to a half point higher over that same period of time, um, so a couple ew, thoughts here are, ew. you know, people who already were in motion or continuing to be maybe it got some fence sitters off the off the fence, thinking that you know, because you you had been talking for a few weeks in a row that, that there were 
people you'd been having conversations with where they were, you know, things are great. I can save lots of money. Why now, jump but, now? But the Fed's going to be cutting rates. Two and, more times guaranteed. And so, you know, I want to I want to capture all that market improvement, not just some of it. And uh, and so. For those folks, maybe maybe this is that call to action that, hey, maybe there is no more improvement, re- regardless of what the Fed's going to do. Well, tops and bottoms are always only perfectly clear in the rearview mirror, right? That's true. It's really hard to identify. Um, in fact, it, this week I was talking to Dixon, who um, he works for us. He's pretty much our secondary guy. I mean, you and Dixon share a lot of these responsibilities, but... <laughs> So he's he's one of the dudes I talk market with, you know, and we were basically saying what a difficult market to have confidence in right now, um, really to understand which way it's going at all. We yeah. have the we have the Fed rate decision to discuss here too is going to parlay right into this conversation, but um, yeah, specifically though, I haven't had too many people that go. Um, Maybe we missed the bottom. Let's pull the trigger now. It still seems like it's the normal influx of people that are just willing to transact. So those waiters are still waiting. And I don't know. That's interesting. Weird philosophy. I'm not sure waiting, you know, like like we discussed, I guess it was two weeks ago on the show. If you have real savings and a refi makes sense, I think you get it, you know? And keep in mind the historical context here. I mean, at the at the bottom of the recession, we saw thirty year fixed right around three percent. And at this recent period of low interest rates, we saw the thirty year fixed at about three and a half percent. Correct. So how much lower can rates really get in this environment that's so different than ten years ago when we when you know what was going on, the stock market was like a quarter of what it is today. Housing prices were half of what they were today. Um, the jobs market wasn't nearly as good as it is today. So how much lower can rates really get in this environment that's, by comparison, much, much better? That's a great question. And, of course, now we have we can work in this discussion now about the Fed rate meeting this week. Much anticipated. Just to go back and give a little recap, since the prior Fed meeting, uh, which was just in July, right? Was yeah, it July? yeah, it was just last month. Feels oddly or two months ago. Oddly close, right? Yes. Sixty something days ago, we got a quarter point rate cut. Mm-hmm. Immediately said, "Oh, the chances of a rate cut at the September meeting are ninety-two percent." And then we're going to go ahead and load on the chance of another 2019 rate cut of a quarter percent. It fluctuated, depending on when you looked in at it, it was 45 to 60% chance. Okay. So this is what's been fueling some of that thought of, you know, well, why, why rush today? Why, why go lock in a rate today just knowing that, you know, well, it's almost like if you need to buy a TV before Super Bowl weekend. If your TV blows up sometime in December, um, you might be reluctant to go out and pull the trigger. You know, you'd, you'd be <laughs> might like do TV on your phone for a month. <laughs> yeah, or bring the one from the bedroom back to the living room or something. Um, 
or buy it from a place that's got one of those 30-day uh, price match guarantees, right? Bring in your receipt, and we'll give you the new price. Right. Um, but you don't want to run out on December 30th and buy a TV. The Super Bowl sales are coming. So this is where you have people looking at um, mortgage rates going, well, I'm not going to be the dummy that runs in and locks a loan today and then um, gets, you know, just find out that I just went too soon. Mm-hmm. And so those people have lost pretty substantially right now. And to confuse matters, the feds did cut rates by a quarter of a point this week. Um, and that was expected, right? I mean, it was largely expected. It, it did fall from the hundred percent expectation of a rate cut to at, at the, you know, right up this week prior to about 75%. Yeah. It was falling a little bit. You wouldn't hear that. Like, um, you know, when I'm watching Squawk Alley or Power Lunch, every time they, they start talking about this stuff, you know, they got a guy on there just saying, oh, absolutely. This is rate cut is imminent. No doubt about it. Um, and I, man, I just still was thinking, I'm not so sure. I don't know. Um, keep seeing pretty bright spots in the economy that make me think that might want to keep that tool in the bag. Um, but anyway, um, the Fed's cut rates by a quarter of a point, okay? That's good news? Eh, let you decide. Dive into the votes a little bit here. This is this is interesting. Uh, the vote was 7 to 3 amongst the voting members in favor of the 25 basis point rate cut, okay? There's more members of the Federal Open Market Committee that are not voting members. They're there to... Put in their input. Provide insight on different regions of the country. Yeah, and and have a diversity of opinions and maybe lobby one another of, hey, go with me, here's why. This is mm-hmm. what I'm considering. This is what my experience tells me. This was happening in my home district. This is what my bank is feeling, right? So we had one Fed president out of the lot of them wanted, um, preferred a 50 basis point rate cut this week. Just one, Okay. So greater than what actually occurred. Yeah, only one, though. And then of the 17 members, and remember, only 10 are voting, but of the 17 members, 10 of them projected no more rate cuts this year, mm-hmm. which is going to change. Now you're now you're going to have to kind of pivot on this dialogue that's been going on for the last three months here that was so certain that we were getting a rate cut today and one more in 2019. You have to believe now that the majority of the Fed wants no more action in 2019. Um, Nine of 17 of them project no more rate cuts through 2020. So basically split down the middle. Split down the middle, but you got got half of the group here saying none. Mm -hmm. And the market's got to digest that. Okay, the last time everyone got hung up on Fed chair talking about a mid-cycle adjustment mm-hmm. rather than a change in policy to be more accommodative, right? Those are those are very carefully selected words. So now if you're one of those fence sitters, you have to look at this saying, well, the, the path doesn't seem as clear now. My optimism for rates bottoming in December, January, February, uh, I think... I know I I should know better than to make projections here on the show like this, but I think 
this could possibly be the low range of where we are now. Um, of course, more data to come, more job reports to come, more inflation reports to come, more housing reports to come. Those things are always going to affect this, why the Fed meets so regularly, right? Mm -hmm. And then also why they have the pre press conferences to bring us into the fold of what they're thinking and what they're considering. Um, I no longer am of the camp. I didn't agree with doing a rate cut in the first place. I feel like my position on that's been pretty clear. Um, that being said, now the way the Fed is sort of pivoting on this what feels like a policy stance here. I almost feel like they gave us the quarter point this week because the market so anticipated it and the damages would have been deep if they didn't get it. And today's words, you know, this week's words make me believe that, hey, everybody should be pretty heads up that the, the group is pretty well split and the there's no guarantee of a rate cut at the next meeting. So, yeah. If, in fact, if you look forward, um, the Fed funds futures were right at the the future target which is 1.9 percent. since we have this range of the fed funds rate right now with the quarter point cut it sits at one and three quarters to two so more or less 1.9 percent um is kind of the middle of that if you look out through the end of 2020 still is at 1.9 percent and then when you look into 2021, it actually goes up to 2.1%. When you look out to 2022, 2.4% is kind of where the Fed funds futures are sitting at. So That's what the futures are anticipating, some increase, right? Right. There's, there's Nothing one, for the next year or more, there's, year and a half. There's one more piece to unpack about this week's Fed meeting that um, I think – again, should should affect your thinking if you're one of the people deciding whether or not to transact. The overall projection is no more rate creases in 2019. Um, one more reduction in 2021 um, and 2022. So currently is where we sit is the long range might be flat to down a little in terms of what the Fed's guidance is today based on data before them today. But remember, there's a lot of news that comes out between now and then. Um, and there's the wild card of the executive branch, because a lot of this rate run up in the last week or so has been largely based on a trade meeting between China and the U.S. in October. Right. And so who knows what's actually going to come of that? Just the the prospect of them getting together to hopefully sort out their differences. This will be the fifth or sixth time. Okay. Yeah. And since last time we kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit about the tariffs <clears throat> that, that gave the stock market a little shot in the arm and kind of took bonds up, um, pushed mortgage rates up. That was part of that. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens when we get through that. Does anything meaningfully get decided at the October trade meetings? I don't know. I know better now than to believe in the optimistic remarks. Right. Sort of posturing about, well, things are looking good about a deal. Uh-huh. You said that five times. So um, I'm not buying it. I mean, now, we, now it's time to see these guys roll their sleeves up and really, really make a deal. Um, did you see that uh, interview this week with Pelosi talking about China and the trade deal? I didn't. 
it was kind of interesting. I saw, I didn't see the whole interview. I saw like some key ex- excerpts. Excerpts? Why am I saying that word? I th- Weird. I think you're correct. Yeah. Excerpts. Just sounds funny coming out of my head. Although points was here, it'd be something different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he really yeah. steps on the S real hard. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. it was, I like to. I like to wear housing. The way house he says housing. <laughs> He's not here to defend himself. Uh, anyway, Pelosi was talking about how the issues with China are real and need to be resolved, and sure. these things need to happen. And these negotiations. She even went so far in this interview to say it's not about whether or not we're going to give Trump a victory. But it's more about whether the American people are going to gain some fair ground here in these what have been bad deals. And I was pretty impressed by that. Uh, I like that, you know, somebody in her capacity is willing to say it's not about, you know, because obviously Trump's made this his hill to die on. Right. I mean, if anything else lately, I mean, we and he said it was going to be this way when he came into office. He was going to work on trade agreements. He's definitely prioritized that. Um, and I mean, right up there running probably second best is probably, you know, his position and desires over immigration reform. But I I would say the trade agreement and the immigration, those have been the big things that, that he's about. And anyways, it was encouraging, I think, um, to see Speaker Pelosi say, Hey, we're this for the American people. And this is not a this is not a partisan issue, though it feels like it really has been. So a lot hangs in what's going to happen in October mm-hmm. um, as to whether or not we make a deal. But it's hard. You know, I think the U.S. being the dominant economic power in the world has largely, you know, been able to get our way. Um, but, you know, going and trying to negotiate with the other big economic power. These are the two biggest economic powers in the world. Well, and not only that, but China's got and we covet, a billion plus people that are being represented, and so he can't, you know, be weak. And and so these are two. Well, very we covet their manufacturing ability. Sure, we sure. want more manufacturing here. I mean, the average American agrees. We strip a lot of these things down. The average American agrees that we love the jobs. Here on U.S. soil, there aren't too many people that think that U.S. manufacturing is a bum steer Um, in terms of that battle of made in the USA versus made of China. um, I think that has a little bit of a patriotic context to it, you know, as you want things that are made here on the homeland and things like that. But I think the average consumer, too, is a little bit worn out about some of the quality we've got from you know, some manufacturing is not great. Granted, there the are plenty US of things that are better. Sure likes that price. Absolutely. <laughs> there, there you go. There's the that's the double edged sword of it all, right? Yeah. Yeah. Every now and again, I'll see somebody on Shark Tank talking about how they're it's a key to their marketing that what they have is U.S. made, and and the key there is not only is it jobs and it's that patriotism. They have to ride that pretty heavy. Because they're justifying a price point that's well above what else is in the market for whatever that said product is. Yeah. I shared on the show a few weeks, maybe months back, about my wife and her her business where they need glass bottles to put their products in. And first of all, they can't find a U.S. 
source source manufacturer that makes these bottles. There's a lot of wine bottles made in the U.S., but they don't make these particular bottles that they need for their product. Um, and so they have to come from China. But now they're even trying to get them from China through a U.S. distributor. And so they can get them direct from China for 25 cents a unit shipped. The best price they can get through a U.S. distributor is $1.75. Wow. Hugely different. And so they're even asking, I mean, if, if I can get it for this, why can't you get it from that same manufacturer and give it to us even for 75 cents a unit? Three times what we can get it direct. Can't do it. Can't afford Can't make that work. It sounds like they need to place about a 700% tariff <laughs> on glassware directly imported from China. Yeah, it's crazy. Man, that's wild. And it's a really complex issue. We could spend a whole show diving into this. It, it has to do with environmental standards and, you know. It has to do with just the currency trade. I mean, there's a seven to too. one difference in the currency trade. That's wild. Um, all right, we're in the thick of it, I know, but we do have to take a commercial break because we're contracted to do so. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we got paying sponsors of the show, That's and right. without these guys, you'd have to pay to listen, Yeah, which means probably wouldn't be listening anymore oh, no <laughs> come on come on jason oh you know what we should do like the um you know those certain radio stations and certain television networks do like mm. uh telethon fundraisers we could fundraise for the show <laughs> until we figure out how to do yeah. that we're gonna do commercials so yeah, there you are. give a listen we'll be back in a couple minutes with more mortgage matters All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, all right, yeah. I I didn't know if you were going to try to switch gears on us. I wanted to keep talking about this Fed thing. I do too, and yeah, totally. There, because there's, and also I think we got to unpack a little bit of the economic data that came out, you know, in the last week or so here, leading to the Fed meeting, which obviously has some impact. And I think probably absent of some of this data, we may have seen the general support for more rate cuts a little bit different. Sure. Also, some news out of the European Central Bank this last week that is interesting. So I want to, you know, as we evolve this discussion a little bit, I want to remind you that the Fed operates under a dual mandate, right? They have two primary things um, as mandated by Congress to focus on, and it's to maximize employment, and to promote stable prices. So that, you know, that's where we talk about inflation a lot. Um, how do you feel about employment? Maximized? Uh, you made a pretty great point last <laughs> time we talked about this and sort of turned my head a little bit to think about this a little bit differently. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I venture to say yes. I think we've made the most of what we can with what we have, and the jobs market has been very strong for a very long time. We've got, a what, a 3.6% unemployment rate. We've got um, 
weekly jobless claims hovering right around 200,000 per week, which is pretty low. Um, we've got wage growth. Um, last few readings have been, you know, at an annual rate of about three to 4%. Um, job openings numbers look good in comparison to those looking for jobs. You know, there's more jobs available than those looking. Um, so I feel like when I look at the landscape of jobs, it feels pretty good. It feels like the Fed has done well to um, promote that maximum employment with their policies. As far as price stability goes, I mean, you always have the weekly fluctuations of energy. Those, I don't know, you know, that just seems to be something that the Fed doesn't have a ton of control over energy. I, I saw the price of gas at the mobile at the circle in Morro Bay jumped from 347 to 367 from like Monday to Tuesday or Tuesday to today. In response to the the bombing over there uh, of the oil production. Yeah. So 20 cents a gallon across the board. We're told now that'll be the end of end of September before those Missing barrels are added back to the supply well, when chain. When do we and stop the summer blend? When does the summer blend go away? That's a good question. Uh, we no. should be drawing near the end. That's got to stop sometime in September, I would think. Well, you know, I kind of have a problem with that anyway. I mean, I understand what happened in the Middle East, but here it is. This oil's been over here before that ever happened. I know. Not a lot of I mean, it's things. like yeah, it's, but it's not, future looking. It's you not know? an immediate. I have a friend that owns a couple gas stations, and these conversations are always really interesting. Is um, I mean, they got big tanks underground, yeah, I mean, and so they fill those tanks up sometimes several times a week. I think Costco probably gets a fill here in town every other day, if not every day. They sell a lot of fuel. Yeah. The uh, the gas goes into the ground at yesterday's price, right, and then you know, needs to be adjusted coming out of the ground based on what it's going to take to refill it. So I see what you're saying, but you got to be able to anticipate the broader supply and what the cost of that supply is going to be when it gets there. Um, But I always make this analogy, fun to make it back the other way, Mm -hmm. just like mortgage rates, Mm -hmm. gas is slow to fall and quick to pop up. Mm -hmm. Little bit of little bit of something to talk about in the market, yeah. and those prices will go up nice and fast, which is always true with mortgage rates. So other than that, you know, very volatile energy cost component of inflation, inflation's been frustratingly low. In fact, under the Fed target of 2% for At the core. quite some time. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like I remind you of these things because this is going to be a a primary factor, not the only factor, but a primary factor in the Fed's future decisions regarding their interest rate policy. Um, you know, these these two primary factors here of employment and inflation would lead you to believe that there is no need to continue doing any rate cuts. In fact, this is why I have thought and, and you've thought that we shouldn't even be cutting these last two times. Right. But here we are. We've done it. Um, So then you start to get in some of those other factors like you're bringing in the European Union. They've been cutting rates. Yeah, they made a they made a move this last week to drop by an additional 10 basis points going to a negative 50. Mm -hmm. 
So they're minus a half point in their rate. Um, that's interesting. There's a little look at what's going on abroad. Um, also introducing at the same time as that rate cut, they introduced some additional quantitative easing. So we used to have this conversation about when the U.S. began the increasing the interest rate cycle, right? We had this conversation was kind of about the rest of the world being at a little bit of a disadvantage, right? Where they need some money, they need some stimulus, and the U.S. was, I I should I want to say first, right? First to emerge and first to get back on a stable ground and begin growth and first to be adding in rate hikes. And it puts some of those other countries at a little bit of a disadvantage. Yeah. I mean, they chose a different path during that economic recovery. They went more of the hard line. What do they call them? Austerity measures. Right. Um, But so, you know, here, I mean, so that gives you an idea. They've got to be thinking about that. You've got this the fear now of this global lag, right? This gets talked about a lot. And I know the feds are primarily concerned with what's going on on American soil with the American economy, but that's not, it's not isolated or immune from what's happening in the global picture. Um, The, a couple of things like you mentioned um, inflation a minute ago, and this is something that was part of the big, so Two weeks ago, we had, um, you know, you know, mortgage rates are taking it on the chin when you get uh, articles being written by the mainstream media that say mortgage rates are have the worst week they've had in years. Okay, and those were real articles. In fact, I I pasted one of the articles and sent it to several clients that were kind of wondering what was going on and. Um, it just helps to understand the different things at play here. Well, part of it was some of this inflation discussion. Um, consumer price index came out um, at plus 0.1%. And the when you exclude the volatile food and energy, prices increased 0.3 for the third consecutive month, making you believe that maybe there's a little bit of inflation going on. The annual increase was 2.4% at the last reading, which is above the Fed's 2% target level. Um, That's a 13-month high, by the way. Um, The last time the core was higher than that was in 2008. So take a minute and sort of put that into context. What was going on in 2008? Um, Arguably, you know, a period of deflation, maybe stagflation when you look at GDP, you look at inflation numbers and you look at employment, those were rough years right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we found out that the producer price index um, increased 1.6% in the last reading, which was in July. Um, and so you know that the Fed has to chew on these things a little bit. Um, retail sales, by the way, came out showing. Uh, it, it, it was expected, the forecast was for a 0.1% increase. It came out with a 0.4% increase. When you see retail sales having an unexpected pop like that, that's a foreshadowing into 
potentially stronger GDP as we're now getting ready to start dissecting what's happened in third quarter GDP. It also tells us, you know, we got a reading last week about consumer confidence reaching highs again. So the consumer feeling good, the consumer spending money because jobs are good and housing is very stable still. So those things point to a strong U.S. economy, point to um, in, in all of this, by the way, you have to know this is all sort of shrouded under this shadow of major trade tension, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're doing okay and we're inflation is arguably the core inflation is still below what the Fed really wants to say to see, but it's it's building. And so you have also you have retail sales increasing, pointing to better than expected GDP under again under that under that umbrella here, the shade of these trade agreements really causing impact to the U.S. economy. So I I look at all that. So all these things have played into what the feds are, what they're looking at. And um, man, I I started to have the sentiment really the, the few days leading up to the Fed meeting, especially after that week of rates going up by almost a half a point. I'm looking at that thinking, man, they just might not. They might not make this rate cut. And uh, to be honest with you, it scared me a little bit. And and the reason it scared me is that the market, the stock market, all of the investors, the, the, the fund managers, everybody's convinced that the feds are cutting rate. And if they didn't, then the blowback from that would be pretty radical. Mm-hmm. So like I said, my sentiment now, I, I could really only summarize the reason we got this rate cut was that it was so anticipated that you have to do it. You've got young kids. So you know what it's like if you say we're going to go to Disneyland, you're not getting off the hook about that. Mm-hmm. That's all you're going to hear about until you actually go. And God forbid something come up that might prevent you from going – you're, you have to go. The expectation is too high. You're going to have the, the whipsaw effect of not actually being able to execute on such high expectations. You're going to hear about it forever. <laughs> oh, man. And young kids are the worst, right? And, and you know, I think there's some similarities here to be drawn to what the, you know, what the investment community in the U.S. wants is um, continued growth and good sure. news and accommodative policies. You know, we have Trump tweeting – uh, pretty actively, you know, it's no secret what he wants out of the Fed. In right. fact, after the rate meeting, more or less came out and called them cowards. Um, should have cut more, and um, the the failure to do so is going to have grave consequences. I'm paraphrasing, sure. maybe, maybe even saying a little bit nicer. Well, and to your point about you know the the, cons- the strong consumer, the strong retail sales. Um, part of today's announcement was they revised their forecast. The Fed revised their forecast for GDP up to 2.2%. I don't know if that was Q3 or Q4, but they're expecting a little bit better growth than previously anticipated. So we've given a lot of color as to why the Fed might be done cutting, at least for this cycle here. But let's talk about the conference that followed the actual fed announcement here um because it was all about the economy showing signs of weakening or at least they're prepared to move this is from jerome powell fed chair powell um he suggested that it was that the fed was prepared to move aggressively if the u.s economy shows additional signs of weakening 
So suggesting that it's already showing some signs of weakening, um, a little bit different from what we're seeing with the strong consumer. Um, Let's see here. They they said or Powell said that um, the U.S. economy remains strong and unemployment is low, but there are risks to this positive outlook. If the if the economy weakens, a more extensive series of rate cuts would be appropriate. Our eyes are open. We're watching the situation and we'll stop cutting rates uh, to sustain the expansion when we think we've done enough. So they're seeing a, they're looking at a little bit different stuff. I, I heard one commentator on CNBC this morning talking about while the consumer is strong, they're still confident, they're still spending. The consumer is usually the last indicator prior to a recession. And it's usually right up at the very end that you'll start to see consumer confidence wane and uh, consumer spending uh, pull back. That's at the very end before a recession actually hits. But what you'll see prior to that is CEO confidence start to wane. And this commentator was suggesting that you're already seeing that with some of the bigger ticket orders, like your durable goods orders have been down. Um, Those are things where like, uh, you know, the, a company might be investing in new machinery, um, you know, equipment, things that are going to last for more than three years. So that's the kind of stuff where, um, you know, we might look to the business community first to see their sentiment and their willingness to spend and not so much at the consumer level right now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's always just a wait and see though right i mean we can do our best to digest the data and and try to figure out how it affects us and um you know that i think the other thing that's important to say here too is that as it relates to mortgage interest rates the fed doesn't set mortgage interest rates and i think a lot of people struggle with remembering this and and also just keeping this as a sort of a prioritization of when you're trying to figure out what the Fed's doing and why it doesn't correlate directly into the mortgage interest rate environment you know it can it has a it has a relationship there i think it's sort of indicative of where everything is going at least that's probably the the broadest flyby view of it all but interest rates can be independent of what's going on with the Fed and we'll, uh, I think next week, as some of the dust settles, we'll have a, a lot clearer vision here of, of what to expect for interest rates. Those, the remarks from the, the post-meeting conference um, kind of seem to soften the vote outlook, you know, the, the, the sentiment amongst the the voting and non-voting members of the Fed, it seems to soften it a little bit and make it still, they want us to have this underlying feeling of we're on it. We got night watch on duty. We're all watching. We're mm-hmm. going to take care of this. We're paying close attention. There are risks to the economy. Um, and, you know, to make the bold statement that the economy has softened since the July meeting, that's a, I feel like that, that's, intended to help us clearly understand you know that that's what the fed is saying warranted this quarter point cut and you know 
sort of sets the stage, leaves the possibility open that um, looking forward, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's anyone's guess, but it's got to be reactive to what's going on within the economy. It's not a, just a clear path. You can't just see months and months forward or years forward. Um, you got to really be playing, paying very close attention. All right, we got to do the final commercial break here of the hour, and then uh, we'll be back to wrap up this first hour with more Mortgage Matters. guys welcome back what are you saying i'm I'm just continuing to read the article some of the president trump's desires in tweet form here on september 11th he said the federal reserve should get our interest rates down to zero or or less less. yeah just right quick to just hack two points off is that really what he expected and are negative interest rates a good thing that's that doesn't seem good to me. Um, man, a negative interest rate. I was talking with this again with Dixon a little bit. Is that so? Some of these countries have a negative interest rate, right? Which would suggest that any amount of holdings that the bank has beyond the required reserves would be subject to the negative interest rate, which would incent then the bank to lend that money out, deploy those funds into the economy, and you know. Those are the kind of things we talked about when we were talking about thawing a frozen credit market. And I'm wondering that again. Uh, back, so nothing's going to top the pre recession, um, just the regularity of getting those credit card solicitations in the mail about, oh, well, we give you a $25,000 credit card with a 0% APR for the first 12 months and 0% balance transfer, right? Those were at the ready. And everywhere you went, it seemed like every store that you would go to would be like, well, do you want to save 15% today by opening a credit card? Mm-hmm. That stuff kind of died off for a while, right? During yeah. that post, during the recession and post-recession years, it was like, well, some of that consumer credit was a little bit harder to obtain. There was even a period where car dealerships were trying to actually look at income documentation. Those <laughs> days are gone, right? So now yeah. I've noticed that in my mailbox, I'm seeing plenty of that, hey, you want a credit card? Mm-hmm. Hey, you want a line of credit? Hey, do you need to consolidate? You know, all these kinds of things. And it's uh, just reminding me that we're not in a frozen credit environment interest rates for consumer credit are still pretty favorable. You know, I I understand if you're in that world of juggling high credit card balances that you can't pay off, you know, you might still be playing that game, but it's interesting to me to think that you you would use something like negative interest rates or prefer something like negative interest rates to spur on growth when the growth is acceptable. Mm -hmm. Current growth is acceptable. So it's interesting. I would, 
it would be interesting to, to have a sit down with Trump. We should get him on the show. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 look up the White House right now. We should get him on the show and talk about. Uh, I'll call the red line right now. What would you do, Mister Trump, today if you had the ability to just set the interest rate? Would you just go to zero right now in one move? Just cut it once, one time. Boom! All right, let's get GDP winning. It's pretty crazy. We'll get that direct line of the White House going. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, maybe even the- if it's on Air Force One right now or something like that, we could direct line to Air Force One. Right. I don't know. What I was talking about prior to um, the the last break here, this Business Roundtable CEO Economic Outlook Index um, has declined to a three year low in the third quarter. Um. That's chief executives of the nation's largest corporations have sharply lowered their plans for capital investment and their expectations for sales. Trade tensions were cited as a major factor for the worry that companies are feeling. That's concerning, right? Yeah, and it I think it comes back to what what we've thought was really the heart of this matter and it's that trade issue and the uncertainties around the trade issue. Um, you know, if there was you know, because business hates uncertainty. Right. Stock market hates uncertainty. Um, well, the other thing I wonder too, you know, can keep up? Can you keep up? Have you tried to keep up on the whole Brexit thing? No. They voted another extension. I keep hearing and they vote, and then they yeah. I, there's I all get these, these assurances that they won't seek another extension. You know, extension, and then I hear that an extension won't be granted, and then I hear they got another extension. But the only reason I bring it up, I don't even care to have a broad discussion about Brexit, but we're facing an election cycle here, right? Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I don't know. Trump going to win again? You say yes. He says no. Yeah. Some say I hope not. Some say I hope so. Some say maybe. Democratic Party seems to be trying to shake out their front runners right now. Do you want this all left unresolved when we straddle that? I mean, this sort of reminds me of like the Brexit thing of, uh, no, it would be really good for us. Like you said that uncertainty, it's a killer and it is obviously it's stressing out the CEOs. That's the number one thing they cite, um, for the average consumer. It's kind of a talking point in as much as it's politically polarizing, um, some things the consumer have gotten more expensive. I don't think the average consumer can pick their head up and say, this is hurting me, right? No. doesn't feel right that now, way businesses yet. Are hi- businesses are hiring. Yeah. Wages are going up, although modestly they're still going up. So, yeah, the consumer is still feeling good. They're still spending money. But like we said, they're the last to react. Yeah. So, But the investment community doesn't like the uncertainty either. Right. And... It's obviously we're we're seeing this theme again of of volatility, and we had a run there where it was nice to not have intraday volatility to where you could feel like you could make a prediction. I know better than to predict to get me through Wednesday now. That's just you can't the the kind of movement in the stock markets, the kind of movement in the bond markets the the day-to-day uncertainty and the the lack of confidence in what 
the rest of the day holds, let alone tomorrow. It's wild. And I forgot, you know, of course, experiencing all this volatility again made me realize that I I wasn't thankful enough for the lack of volatility when we had it, because being back in the volatile environment is just difficult to manage. And you can only imagine that these high-level CEOs look at this lack of certainty and see the volatility and know that there are big things at play that need to get sorted out to, to make sure that we understand the ground that we're on, you know? So anyhow, that's the first hour, folks. We got about a five-minute break here. It's the top of the hour break and uh, your opportunity to, to grab some water, some more coffee, whatever you need to do. Uh, maybe you can turn your car off and run inside and turn us on now on the, on the AM radio inside. But we'll be back in a few minutes here for a whole nother hour of Mortgage Matters. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're all settled in for another enthralling hour. We are. That's we're ready to go. We're yeah. hyped. Hyped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Woo. We're just good. We're really awesome. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about, but anyway. You really brought your A game today, Jim. Yeah, you know, nice. Everything is awesome. I had, I had to put in the Eddie money there. Yeah, we had a little Eddie money coming back from that, just because you know he punched his two tickets to paradise. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, seventy years old. Mm -hmm. Not that old, really. I mean, I mean, in in real life, that's like uh, not that old. In Mm -hmm. rock star years, that's a good run. Yeah. Well, That's in that in that case, uh, Ozzy should have been dead a long time ago. Ooh, Ozzy had a significant fall this week at home yeah. mm-hmm. and ended up like hospitalized for multiple days. Yeah. And well, then then you have Keith Richards. What he probably has pickled himself, so that's why he's still alive. <laughs> I'm convinced that he's like a wax museum. Yeah. Being just dragged around automated what's that claymation he's claymation but it did happen in threes this week because we had of course rick okasic from the cars yeah we had a a totally different thing but koki roberts from abc news right so yeah (laughs) it's it's interesting how that happens yeah (sighs) um I was eager to talk today about, uh, is that loud when I do that? Yeah, it's a little annoying and loud. 
We're borrowing the Coast Studio today. Just so you know, it's a little bit different equipment. Oh, I shouldn't. Have we moved. had to do this show from some loud the Coast springs Studio. over there. I shouldn't have yeah. moved it. <laughs> yeah, no. I wish there was a video. You guys would be dying like, laughing. His head is like I got my, at the my mic boom, which has maybe you should just the, stand up. Four active springs on <laughs> it are uh, deciding to do. Here we go. Boing. How about that? How about not? Oh, I need. I need to wait. I need to wait to put on this thing to just hold it where it goes. Here, this. There we go. It's a little bit better. If there's any Got compensation, it. somehow my mic went down a little bit. Oh, no, no, that's gonna work. Oh wow. Hey. Yeah. Cool. That there works. we go. Just put a little weight on it. Ah, <laughs> yes. Now I don't have to stand three quarters. Yeah, headphone case has the multiple purpose uses. Yep. Porpoises. Yeah. Porpoises. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, it's like flipper. Yeah. It's like flipper. <laughs> Porpoises. Oh, man. Well, that's how points would say it. So let's yeah. just give him a little credit there. Uh, Dan, <laughs> so I wanted to talk about this on the show today because I think, I mean, a lot of our listeners are clients. Yeah. Um, either they listen and become clients of ours because they... They like, they like the insight into you know us and the company and the way we work. And then likewise, a lot of our clients that come to us end up finding out about the show and then listen to the show. Mm-hmm. So, um, And then additionally, of course, we have a lot of listeners. We have a lot of those listeners that say, I've been listening to your show for years and I used Quicken, which is – I'm rolling my eyes at yeah. you. <laughs> I think um, we've mentioned that a few times. Not yeah, to, but um, anyhow, uh, the rest of you listeners that have never done business with us, a fair amount of you own homes, and mm. if you own a home, you're getting solicitations. Now, I'm going to be. I want to talk about this a little bit because these solicitations that come in the mail. Uh, Interestingly enough, I mean, I shared a few weeks ago, I refinanced my personal house. And so cue the onslaught of solicitations in the mailbox. And I hate that. Oh, my favorite thing about it, though, my absolute favorite thing about it is they say Central Coast lending on them. And I know they're not from us. Uh, And and usually... um, so it must be something to do with the way the county recorder records the deed or the credit companies report the inquiry or a combination of both, but there's not enough characters available in the whole uh, box there to spell out all of Central Coast lending. Uh-huh. So they spell out Central Coast with appropriate space between the L-D-N-G. two words, LDNG. Yeah. And it's in bold and it's right above your name. Wow. And so I get these at my house, and I'm like, how can this be legal? It's uh, it's borrowing some familiarity yeah. and attempting to gain some credibility with clients based on our reputation. It feels like an unfair business practice, and I wonder if it is legal. I mean, well, it seems unethical at a minimum. It seems like it should be illegal. The fine print at the bottom clearly states that... They're a different company name, yeah. and we're not affiliated with your previous lenders, so they might have the get-out-of-jail-free card there. Fair enough. But it's so confusing that 
Not only is it confusing to our clients, it's confusing to our own staff. Yeah. I had, yeah. we had a client send one of these solicitations to one of our loan officers. Our loan officer turned to me yesterday and said, hey, so what's going on with this letter that we sent out? And I'm like, this letter we sent out? What are you talking about? Well, one of my clients got a refinance letter from us. A what? We didn't send out a refinance letter. Yeah, it's right here. Like, oh. no, that's not from us. That's marketing. That's deceptive marketing that happens yeah. all the time. Every, the format of of the letters is different every time. Yeah. This one just so happens to have our company name right above the recipient's name. So it's they can't help but see it. And their eyes are drawn to it because, like you said, it's in bold. And interestingly enough, we saw this same letter from two different clients on the same day. Right. So... And so that that first part chaps me, right? Just the I don't like you using gaining any kind of credibility based on the the relationships that we have with these clients. It has nothing to do with this soliciting party and everything yeah. to do with us and our reputation. So that sounds like that a, burns like a, me up. A lawyer but, sending out a cease and desist, but but then you have to keep on top of that all the time too. So check this out. A lot of money Here's the killer, right? These these trolls that send these letters, yeah. um, within the initial offer of the letter is an interest rate that's unattainable and a payment that's just downright deceptive. This payment isn't even in the world of possible. And when these letters, we, we laid them side by side and looked at them and... Uh, they were using a 15-year interest rate, which was still arguably lower than what you could get in the market today at no points. And they are amortizing it over a 30-year term. So the payment was, and you could find this out kind of in the fine print of it, but the payment was based on a 15-year interest rate and a 30-year amortization. That payment wasn't even possible. And so it, you open up this letter, it has that smell of familiarity because it references Central Coast Lending, and now the payment, because of the interest rate, is so much lower than the payment you have today. And I, So I get it. Here's what they're trying to do. Just call. Right. Respond to this ad. Just call. <clears throat> and they're going to end up now on the phone with somebody that, that's going to get – they're going to get the sales pitch, right? I mean, at a minimum – does this not immediately reek of bait and switch? This is the definition oh, of absolutely. bait and switch, well, right? Well, here's the thing. They, they're advertised. First of all, whether or not the rate's realistic, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you could buy down to this rate. They're, giving, they're offering a sub 3% interest rate, but it's the payment. That's where they're really creating the deception. The, I backed into... The term, based on the proposed loan amount, the interest rate, and the proposed payment, it was for a 30-year term. But in the fine print, it said, this is for a 15-year term loan. Okay, well, if you're, if you're soliciting a 15-year term loan, why are you putting a 30-year term payment on there? That's where the clear deception is, not to mention they didn't have their license info on there or the required verbiage by the regulator that they're licensed under, et cetera, et cetera. So 
there was a number of reasons why this advertising was completely illegal, but just for the consumer is completely deceptive. We had one of these clients call thinking they were going to talk to us because they were so convinced it was us sending it. And they even asked, how are you related? They said, well, is this a rate for a 30-year loan? And the guy said, oh, yeah, regular mortgage. That was the response. Oh, yeah, a regular mortgage. But clearly in the fine print, it said for a 15-year loan. So are you just trying to... Just deceive. I mean, it, they obviously are. They're just trying to yeah, just make say the phone whatever ring. it takes to get an application going, pull credit, order an appraisal, get you going. Mm-hmm. It yeah. happens like in a lot of different deceptive things. You know, when I when I went on vacation a couple of weeks ago, I thought I was booking my hotel room through the hotel, mm. but I was not. Yeah, you got to watch that carefully. You know, um, I. Yeah, and, and they didn't say, and in fact, I talked to the hotel about it. Oh, yeah, we've had problems with that before. Yeah. Well, you know, if yeah. you go, if you open up a Google page and you just, like, yeah. say that you're trying to find Embassy Suites. So yeah. you type in Embassy Suites San Luis Obispo, and the first couple hits that look like, which really should be specifically what you're after, will be Embassy Suites dot san luis obispo dot hotels dot com you know and so now all of a sudden now you're off into this hotel site where your your initial expectation was that you were landing directly at the at the site that you were after right embassy obispo dot reservations dot com See, yeah, and I see, just made that uh, up as an example, and that, it proved to be probably true. Probably not them. It and then, and then, it's going to prove to be a sponsored ad too. These yeah. guys are paying yeah. to be the top hit in a deceptive landing. Um, yeah. I, I actually had an interesting thing happen to me this week where um, I bought some plane tickets, believing that I was going on a trip. The person that I was going with backed out of the trip. Yeah. And since I had booked direct from Delta, yeah, they had a 24-hour free cancellation. But it was right. a very clear policy. So had I made the purchase through Expedia or one of yeah. the other, you can't get out of it. Right. So there's some benefit to being able to get directly to where you're trying to right. go. Exactly. And, that's and now you're getting hoodwinked into somebody else's add-ons in policy or, in this case, a degradation of an existing policy that could be beneficial to the consumer. Right. The advertising world is is bizarrely deceptive and unfortunately, you know, I feel like <sighs> well, I think it's hard to keep up with it all. I mean, as a regulatory body in whatever business category the deception's occurring, it's hard to keep up with all the different businesses and all their different advertising practices. It relies on whistleblowing really to catch any of those people. Yeah, well, I mean, two things. One, did you read the article this week about Venmo? Mm-mm. Everybody's familiar with Venmo, right? Mm-hmm. This right. is a third-party payment app that you can make and receive transfer funds between private parties. Some businesses accept Venmo, but I think it's largely like a peer-to-peer thing. Yeah, uh-huh. Four of us go out to dinner together, and everybody wants to use a credit card because nobody brought enough cash, and so... One guy says, well, heck, I'll swipe it, and then you guys just Venmo me each the $33, and we move on from here, right? Nobody owes anybody anything, forgets about it. 
Well, Venmo had a breach in their security this last week where within the app, they you get a pop-up on your phone, and it since affected like 40 million users. Yeah. You get a pop-up on your phone that says that your payment to this person is pending, and you need to log in and approve or decline it. This is within the app. So this is not like an email trying to trick old people, right? This is a... You're, it's, you get the badge, you're in the app, you open it up. When you hit decline, it's now giving, you know, basically opening you up to the fraud component of this. So they're having to come out and let everybody know, hey, we, we had like an internal hack going on that is one of the highest levels of, you know, deceptive hacking that I think we've seen in a financial-based app like that. Has to scare you, right? These things are becoming so prominent now, you know, you the cash app, there's all these different apps that you're going to put your money into and you're going to use to as a point of sale and peer-to-peer transfers and deposit yeah. your paycheck into. It's pretty wild. Uh, the consumer has to be very discerning about whether or not they're going to engage in these apps. And then, you know, like this Venmo thing, if this doesn't shake your confidence, uh, I don't know what does. That's that's a really crazy thing. I have yeah. like PayPal, which is really like hangover from the eBay era, mm-hmm. where that was how you transacted. Like if you bought something on eBay, you'd pay through PayPal. And so I would get these emails into my account that say they're from PayPal. And they want you to log in and up. They'll say something like, "There's been a security breach within our site, and we'd like you to log in and update your password." And if you click that link, you're being taken to a dummy site where they're attempting to harvest your username and password. And you know, there some people that just aren't that that net net tech savvy. You know, are are falling victim to those kinds of things, and so. You know, I watch out. I just want to say too, it it also has something to do with just, uh, it's almost age related, right? Like the older you are, the more susceptible you are. Well, it had the Chase logo on it, so I I clicked on it. It was from Chase, and was like, well, it wasn't it wasn't though because it didn't have the secure lock in the URL bar, and it wasn't Chase at their standard URL, it was xyzp2q.chase.whatever, right? Which should be a dead giveaway to you that, hey, this is this is a phishing scam here, and I'm not going to fall victim to it. Um, anyway, these, these deceptive practices are nasty. I tell all of my clients, and I guess this is the part to tie this home into why I want to talk about this. If you're a homeowner, whether or not you worked with Central Coastal and you're getting these solicitations and they're deceptive and misleading. They just want you to call those kinds of companies. I wish were just banished from the face of the earth. But um, I tell everybody is number one, if you're one of our clients and you're getting some kind of solicitation like that, there's a variety of, of little scammy things that come on. For example, when you buy your house, You'll get this thing a week or two after you close escrow. It's like one of the first pieces of mail you get at the new house. And it says, give us 80 bucks for a copy of the deed of trust that's recorded. And and it looks very official. It's even got some logoing on it that looks like it's coming from the county recorder's office. It makes it feel like you owe 80 bucks uh, out of necessity. It feels like a bill. 
And if you just foolishly pay that, this company is a full-on just it's a it's a sham. They they're printing off public record. Yes, and you're going to get a copy of this anyway. It gets yeah. recorded to you with the recorder stamp, then they mail you a copy of it. It's part of the recording process. So, I tell all of my clients, listen, after we close escrow, you're going to get a just a barrage of things that are wildly erroneous and irrelevant to you. Some of them are downright fraudulent. And what I'd like you to do, so I'd tell this to all my clients, what I'd like you to do when you get that in the mail is just pop a picture of it with the phone and send it to me. And I'll tell you whether or not it's legit. The ones that are legit are generally the supplemental tax bill. And that's usually confusing to people because they don't remember the conversation about the supplemental tax bill. So I always purchase clients, I always make sure, hey, look, you're you're going to get this. And when you do... It's going to be in a pile of other things that you're struggling to sort out what's legitimate and what's not. So here's the practice. All of it, um, take a picture of it and just text it to me or email it to me. And then I can look at it and I can tell you it's trash or I can tell you that it is an action item for you and what needs to be done with it. Um, you know, just A, yeah, it's a service. You know, it's one of the things that makes us different than other mortgage companies is we we really do have an intention of creating a lifelong partnership with our clientele of being able to, to, to protect them from these kind of things, but also to be able to serve them and, and do right by them well after the close of the transaction. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's such a disheartening thing. It, it, it makes me feel like too much of the big corporate America is just down in these deceptive things of trying to bilk somebody out of 80 bucks or something another one of those deceptive pieces you'll get in the mail is it's it's trying to it, it's calling itself mortgage insurance to protect you and your family in case of as a result of your recent mortgage yeah in case of someone's death you know it'll it'll pay off your mortgage what it is it's life insurance yep. solicitation. and they harvest those deed recordings as a matter of public record and then they solicitate <coughs> those people based on you know, hey, well, here, now we're in front of you. This relates to your mortgage. So because you're kind of attuned right now to you've you've been engaged in this process, you've had all this paperwork, you've met with notaries, you, you're all up in it here. Here's one more thing that it requires your action. We mm -hmm. need you to respond to this. And those two will reference our name on them, Yeah, which is particularly frustrating. And usually I end up telling people too, oh, that's, that's a solicitation for life insurance. And, um, you choose whether or not you want to respond to that. If you have or don't have life insurance, um, that's something that you probably should contemplate, especially when you do have a mortgage, especially if you're the sole income provider for your family and, and that mortgage would be a problem if something happened to you. Um, but generally speaking, I'd say the better practice is to reach out to your insurance agent, you know, find somebody local here that you can get in front of to assess your insurance needs and figure out how to best serve you, not to just fall victim to uh, replying to. And by the way, I just want to say, too, I got that call from one of our clients that's done five loans with us, called me just a couple weeks ago with that life insurance offer and says, this is legit. Do I need to do this? This is a smart dude. This guy's young, totally tech savvy. He's an engineer. He's good at discerning what's real or not. Um, and again, he's one of these guys. I helped him buy his house originally and then his next house too. And so 
our kind of rules of engagement are take a picture of it and send it to me every time you get it so that I can protect you from these crazy solicitations that are dishonest. Yeah. Anytime you see our name on a solicitation, it's just a great reminder to give us a call. If you feel compelled to call, don't call the number there, the 800 number that takes you to some other company. Just call 543-LOAN, 805-543-LOAN. Well, worst case scenario, (laughs) you're going to get a pleasant conversation (laughs) with a little bit of advice about whether or not what you're holding is something that's legit or not. That's all. Um, Easy peasy. Easy peasy. All right, we got to do a commercial break here. Uh, see what kind of music Jim brings us back with. We'll be back in a couple minutes here for uh, more Mortgage Matters. some feedback this week that we should do like that we should be a podcast what do you think about that i mean people can stream our show but i've been listening to more and more podcasts lately um let's do it check into that the the thing of it is is that the um there are some mortgage and real estate type of podcasts but i don't think they're very good Hmm. and i think our show is pretty good i think it's really good yeah, especially that music that we come back the breaks with. Yeah, engineers, <laughs> spot on. No, it's good. It is good. You guys are. Um, well, you're able to take something that's kind of complicated and put it into terms that I understand. Yeah, you know what's funny about that? And that's good. This week, um, some listeners of the show they called and wanted an appointment, mm-hmm. and. Um, Man, business has evolved a little bit. I this was this was a little bit of a, a wake up call to me. Um, you know, it used to be that people would call and schedule an appointment, yeah. and we would sit down face to face and sort of hack our way through a loan application and come up with the list of documentation needed and some counsel over you know, programs and options, that kind of thing. But yeah. it wasn't it wasn't uncommon that we would spend an hour and a half or two hours with somebody uh, just sort of at that initial getting it all going appointment, you know. And through the years, and I'd say this has been the case for probably the last five or six years, but what happens is um, most of the time just I think – just sort of out of respect for everybody's time is, well, an easy first thing to do is to fill out a loan application on the website. Right. Okay. Um, log in. It's totally secure. As you guys could imagine, uh, we're, we're a financial agency, right? We're heavily regulated. The, the online stuff that we do is 
highly secure. And, you know, we have a Citrix-based file share program where instead of emailing over documentation, we would give you a link where it's an FTP secure mm-hmm. upload. And then we similarly, we have to log into this other secure site to pull the documents off because sending things, you know, sensitive personal information like social security numbers and driver's license numbers and these kind of things just attached to an email. You just can't do that. So anyway, the process has kind of resulted in a change of how the average consumer transacts business. Now they generally do an online loan application. Um, we may or may not do a face to face meeting. There's a surprising amount of people that don't even want or require a face-to-face meeting. They will be perfectly content to upload documentation. And then by way of electronic signatures, we use DocuSign, which is what I think most every real estate agent uses. Yeah, Yeah, the big companies, the banks that we do all of our agreements with, they all use DocuSign. So it's become your accepted. Your taxes done as DocuSign. Yeah, so right? you go, go donate blood. And it's very convenient bank, because DocuSign. every now and again, yeah. like my insurance agent will send me yeah. something and say, hey, I need you to sign this and send it back to me. And I yeah. go, oh, okay. Yeah. So you need me to print it, which then makes it unsecure, right? Because now it's in hard copy and needs to be discarded of properly. Yeah. But you need me to print it. And then you need me to grab a pen and sign this thing by hand. And then then I have to get to a scanner and turn it into a digital fashion to deliver it back to you. Um, I I don't always have a printer right in front of me, you know? And there's a lot of people that, uh, like, do you guys, I I know you do, Dan, but does the average person have a printer at home anymore? Uh, I do, but it's not even plugged in or turned on. Well, and if you have a consumer-grade printer, those stupid little $50 ink cartridges dry out out because you don't print enough. And then now you figure it out. You're paying 40 bucks a page to print this stuff because you print one page, dry out your cartridge. You've got to go figure out how to buy a new one. So a lot of people have just said, you know, to heck with it. I got a printer at the house that isn't even plugged in and my cartridge is probably dry. So all of these things have sort of fed into and led the way to moving into this digital world. Right. So I started into this because I'm tell you guys that some listeners of the show is fantastic couple. I haven't had so much fun meeting with a couple and talking about, you know, finances and we, we just got along well, uh, personality wise, we had so much fun. We laughed the whole way through. These guys refuse to do anything on the internet. They won't even provide an email address for the appraisal delivery, which is an interesting workaround. Um, hmm. and so consequently though, I ended up having to print all the disclosures. We had to have two meetings, oh. right? We had an initial meeting where we got all stuff together. Then I have to go put everything together use our disclosure desk to generate the disclosures and then have another meeting where we sit down and sign all these pages by hand and walk through them one page at a time and talk about the content of the page. It's been a while since you've done that. It's been a very long time. And you know what? It made me a little bit sad is I so enjoyed the the, the, just the physical interaction with these people, the face to face sit down. I also enjoyed 
demonstrating expertise of walking them through the forms and helping translate some of the legalese. And, you know, the, the conversation naturally turns to, okay, well, this form is for this, and this is why we have to have it. And it, you know, there's just some color commentary that goes into it, but it, it's a, it used to be completely the norm. And now it's such an outlier that, you know, it made an impression on me that I'm talking about it. Well, and you know, that's, that's the problem with the whole digital age here is that not only do you miss that human to human interaction, but you know, people are just signing things without understanding them or reading them or oh, the, fully grasping what they're trying to convey. And the DocuSign thing yeah. is particularly bad at this because I think a lot of people just sign them on their phone. Yeah. And it's, when you, so you click the first one to say, I agree. Yeah. And then it wants you to, if you haven't used DocuSign recently, it wants you to either sign a signature, a signature or adopt an existing signature of your name. And then, um, then you, you click then you hit use. the orange button. Yeah. And it just like rips you Spills down to the all. next signature and yeah. boom, down to the next right. one. And so you're not you see nine forms fly by where yeah. you land on the next signature line and you hit, yeah. And then the next one, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it's like, finish. Okay. You just poured through what takes a solid 35 minutes of discussion and understanding and in 10 you know, seconds. Yeah, in 10 <laughs> seconds. And sure, you're going to get a copy of it. So I usually do tell people because we use DocuSign, right? And I don't mean to say that this process is awful, but mm-hmm. this is the state of business today. And so I tell them, okay, at the end, you're going to have the opportunity to save the whole PDF. It seems like it's that way when you're making major purchases a lot because, like with your house, the same thing with buying a car. Yeah, skip um, to here. You know, it's just like you skip to here, you skip to here, but you got this pages and pages of document, and you're not actually reading what you're signing. It's robo signing. Yeah, right? you guys remember robo signing? Yeah, that was a big problem with the foreclosure issue that we had. But you know, and then the other thing too that that so. I was struck. It reminded me how much I enjoyed that interaction, and it made me a little bit wishful yeah. that that old way of doing it was still the way it's done. And then as we walked away, um, it reminded me, too, and this is the part that made me sad, is that um, the modern transactions oftentimes strip us of our ability to, like, to, to demonstrate the professionalism and the level of knowledge and to gain the credibility and to really be making those, like those are the things, like my desire in every transaction I do is to develop a client for life. Right. And the more you remove me from it and do it digitally. The less valuable and, you seem. What I, well, I could be in Maryland. I could be in Maryland at Quicken. You know, I could be two days on the job and you could be clicking this stuff and, you know, and so, I mean, obviously when we set the loans up and when we talk about options and all that, it's all the part before that where we are still really adding value. And then during the process where we're navigating all of the, the different things that happen where there's definitely still real value. There's a lot in of there. stuff behind the scenes, but you don't always get to exhibit that no. in front of the client. They're not aware of and so at the what end, you're doing. At the end of most transactions, one of the really common feedbacks we get is, wow, that was that was easy. That was really 
simple and smooth. And I never had a, a transaction like that, like in a mortgage transaction. Um, I just kept waiting for the shoe to drop. Where's that and, easy buzz button from Staples? We just have that easy well, button. and <laughs> I mean, the process is so clear to us. It's so well defined. We know exactly what you need. And if we do a good job of being thorough and anticipating what's next and explaining and setting expectations, we can. We have the ability to, to chauffeur somebody through one of these transactions in a way where they get to the end of it and they go, wow, I, I wasn't expecting such a smooth process. And um, unfortunately, a lot of that because of the way the thing works digitally is people don't really have a great understanding of what we're doing when they're not seeing us, you know, like we tell them, okay, we're going to do this and you're going to get a DocuSign and this is what's going to happen and this save it and review it and, you know, call me with questions and all that kind of thing. And then if they go through it and it's all good and they click all the way, you know, we tell them you're going to get a call tomorrow from the gal at our appraisals desk. Who's going to call you to get your credit card number to order your appraisal and, you know, then we're going to be in line for underwriting. We'll open escrow by the time the appraisal comes in, you know, we'll have an approval and if there's anything that we need to get. We're going to get those things and we'll be in touch with you again at that point. Um, so we can set all those expectations, but a lot of that heavy lifting and the, the hero work behind the scenes just goes unnoticed and unrecognized. So it's nice that somebody just feels like they had a pleasant experience, but that's kind of Kind of made me realize that I miss I miss a little bit. Of, I feel maybe that's just one of the things about getting old. Once you have, you know, twenty years in an industry of seeing how it evolves and what happens, um, and and um, even us who try really hard to keep the human aspect alive in these transactions moving in a kind of a dehumanizing way, which I think also is what sets the stage to. You know, people thinking that you should sell a house with a company online, you know, or that you should just do a loan, respond to an 800 number on a, you know, a radio ad or whatever, and then just go punch it up online. And um, we're just, you know, it's moving away from that. I think that that part of the transaction that... Um, well, there's certain benefits to online, like for if you want to see a picture of a house and you're like 2,000 miles away, but I'm kind of interested in moving to this area. You yeah. Know, you can actually see, okay, I'm interested in that. I'm not Just makes me that, think but, that in 10 or 20 years' time, yeah, meeting but, face-to-face over something like a mortgage is probably going to be so foreign to that current generation of people that, you know, they'll just – It'll be a thing of the past. Like, whoa, you you did what? Yeah, you, but you know, like you my spent an hour and a half with a dude about. Did you know you could just click on the phone? My insurance <laughs> agent's five minutes from my house. You know, I mean, I just if I want to go to get have a question about my insurance, I can drive or walk five minutes actually. Cruise over there my, and get an answer. My, yeah, I mean, there's a convenience to the paper trail if you will the electronic paper trail um you know you have these great records it's great for record keeping um but yeah losing that human contact and touch there that's a yeah it's a good thing to to be local yeah you'll be able to talk to the person 
Honestly, yeah. It's great. Well, and I think if nothing else, too, even the clients that we have that like to work digitally, that buy a house and we never actually meet, we spend time on the phone. Right. But they have they take a real sense of comfort in the fact that they know that we're on Marsh Street. Mm-hmm. If you got an issue, come on down. Come find us. We're on Morro Bay. Moro Bay Boulevard. Just, you gotta you gotta you can just drop in. You got an office in Ventura. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I I I'll print it for you. If it's one of those things that has to be signed and your printer cartridge is dry, come on in, I'll print it. There it is. Um, you know, so that's nice. That that is one of the nice things, even in the digital age. But. All right, anyways, we're at the last commercial break here, huh? We are. This time just flies by. Oh, it's crazy how fast this two hours ago. Yeah. All right, well, let's do it. Let's take the final commercial break here, and then we'll get back and wrap it up. Baseball during this last break. <laughs> yeah, we got pretty animated there. Ten games the- left in the season. It's exciting. It's exciting. All the races are coming down to the, the wire here. Mm-hmm. Three teams vying for the last two spots in the AL. And the NL's got some, what, the Central's pretty tight. Who's going to make the series? <sighs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's some obvious... Favorites and front runners. I know all the local Dodger fans are pretty excited about their team. Mm. Um, the Yankees and Astros are both setting the pace in the AL. Mm. So those are the three uh, big money yeah. uh, favorites. But, you know, there's a lot of good teams out there. My Oakland A's are no slouches this year. I... I hope that the A's, I mean, it's a daunting task. I believe any one of those three teams, the Astros, the Yankees, and the A's, have all got to worry about getting through each other. Yeah, well, then they're, the don't sleep on the Twins. The Twins have, I think they're the ones leading the all of baseball in home runs this year. Home run power. Yeah. They've yeah. got Nelson Cream to age. Dude just hits 40 home runs a year. No problem. Sign it up, man. That, every year. And yeah, they've got they've got a they've got a good team there. Kind of under the radar good team. I walk into our uh, program director's office all the time. He's got the Cubs going all the time. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. They uh, they they the might not make the, the uh might not make the playoffs. Yeah. Don't tell they're, Pepper that. He's they're gonna... struggling a little. <laughs> but yeah, this there is used exciting. to be a, there used to be a sports show on after Mortgage Matters for a yeah. minute. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. What was it? The sports recipe. The sports, sports recipe. <laughs> That's right. It was like yeah. a, it was about the game and what you and should snacks. eat during the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a good show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. You should bring that back. 
We'd have a fun sports show. <laughs> we should buy the next half hour after this and just do a sports show. I mean, That'd we're awesome. already here. Maybe they just give it to us. Hey. What comes on right after us? Right after us, golf talk. We do have a sports show. Oh, oh. yeah. Kind of narrow in focus, though. Yeah, just golf. Yeah, is it? Oh, I shouldn't even be asking this because it's so bad of me to not know. But is it? Um, Mike and Billy. It's you guys. in this building. Yeah, it's in this it's building. The, they record at the same time we record. Oh, and they're, um, just... they're not always recording here, though. Sometimes they Got record it. Okay. elsewhere. Usually what happens is I leave the show and then I'm on the phone. Well, they're right. they're live. We're live and then they're recording. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, oh, maybe talk. I should listen to Golf Talk. It's a good show. Is it? Yeah. It's a you good listen show. To it? I've listened to it before. Yeah, it's a good show. When it used to be on Is it still on ESPN Radio? No. It used to be on ESPN Radio as yeah, we I were remember driving that. in to record our show, so I would listen to that. I Instead mean, I, of I, I would listen to Motor Mouse too. I just switch it up. I switch it up. I love Motor Mouse. Don't get me wrong. Love Motor Mouse. Yep. So no, I just you know every now and then, or I might have been listening to ESPN, you know Friday night, and then I get into my car Saturday morning, and there it is. You know, it's like I get you know just. I mean, it's good talk. So I'm just I forget that Motor Mouse is not what I'm listening to. So, yeah. That's Love Motor point. Mouse. Love them. Perfect. Yeah. No, they have a good show. Yeah. Mike and Billy. They have all these. Yeah. Them. Anyway, we got like five minutes here, guys. We're almost done. Yeah, understood. Um, this is the part of the show where we usually, like, for the last couple months here, um, man, maybe since like March. A pretty good run, huh? I've, I've been telling people, hey, listen up. You need to refi. And uh, I feel like that we've lost a little bit of wind from that sale, you know, with these these rates popping up a little bit. Um, you know, I just have to say that the the national average thirty year fix this week is four percent, so it's up a little bit. Uh, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't refi. Um, I, I I think. I wanted to just mention this today on the show, so I guess in closing remarks, it's fine. Uh, got a phone call this week from a client who had a uh, 3.875, bought their house two years ago, looked like they have 20% plus equity now. They have some mortgage insurance. And I on the first phone call, I said, hey, I, I'm thrilled you called. And the problem is, is that the rate's pretty much what you got now. And I'll, I'll still work it up and send you over a worksheet on what it looks like to do a refi. But the only real benefit here is going to be getting out of your mortgage insurance. And I think a lesser salesman or somebody more driven just by commission might really push that fact. And let's just do this to get you out of that mortgage insurance. And yeah, I had a real honest conversation with this lovely lady and said, hey, you should contact your current servicer and figure out how to get out of your mortgage insurance without having to, to go through a new transaction. And, um, you know, real estate values here on the central coast have continued to appreciate. There isn't a market here that's depreciating. I know we've heard talk about the marketing, the market softening, depending on who you talk to, they're expecting things to go flat. Uh, I'm not of that mindset yet, but, but so here's the bottom line. If you're in that boat, if you have a good interest rate and you have mortgage insurance, 
there's a process by which you can get out of your mortgage insurance and and people don't know that it's not because it doesn't lead to a transaction a lot of loan officers aren't eager to have this conversation but so i told this gal contact your current servicer and talk about what it looks like to challenge your mortgage insurance and every servicer has a process for this and generally it's uh, about a $500 fee which it, to no surprise is about the cost of an appraisal and so what they want to do is have you say hey I'm officially challenging my mortgage insurance I believe it should go away now based on uh, my current loan amount and the the current value of my property and they'll end up doing that and if they don't cancel it right away uh, sometimes they'll just tell you hey you're you're not gonna it's not going away today but we're gonna set it up to stop in May and so that's cool now you know hey I only need to make you know six seven more payments before my mortgage insurance is gonna go away so um, for those of you that have got an interest rate above four you probably do want to call and explore looking at doing a refi if you have mortgage insurance that it just kind of compounds that if you if you have a good interest rate that's below that and you have mortgage insurance, you can give us a call and we'll we'll be happy to walk you through um, some advice about you know what to anticipate and what that process looks like for you to try to cancel your mortgage insurance. But if you have an FHA loan with mortgage insurance, the only way to get You're out of that You're stuck. The only way to get out of that is to refinance. Yep. FHA mortgage insurance is life of loan. Yeah, and then we got to do some math because we got to add it to what the current interest rate is and compare the two and make sure it still makes sense. So if you want that help, give us a call this week at the office, a number uh, one number to rule them all, 805-543-LOAN, uh, which is 543-5626. Or you can find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. We're uh, about 30 seconds away right now. We're always mm-hmm. here to help. And just just want you guys to to have the the general idea that when you call us, uh, we just want to help you. We want to give you good advice, get you on the right path. It's not our interest just to you know solicit you to call and try to rope you into some kind of transaction or something like that. So you can feel confident that you can call us and get good advice. So eight zero five five four three loan. Thanks so much for being with us, guys. Have a great week.